0: Welcome to the Confab. I'm Eric Felton. This is where the editors and writers of the Weekly Standard get together to talk about what's in the magazine, what's in the news, and whatever else may be on our minds. We're going to talk with Peter Boyer about the revived interest in missile defense systems, what with North Korea's advances in launching ballistic missiles. And then Ethan Epstein is coming by to tell us about the strange choices Russia appears to have been making during the election with its social media advertising budget. All that coming up on The Confab. We welcome to The Confab Mr. Peter Boyer, national correspondent of The Weekly Standard. Peter, how are you doing?
1: I'm very well, Eric. Thank you.
0: Well, thank you for joining us by Skype. It's uh, fitting that we have this feat of of high technology, the Skype connection, because we're going to talk about an article you have in the new issue of the Weekly Standard, which is all about a very contentious issue of high technology, missile defense. Missile defense hasn't been uh, a big issue of late. It was once upon a time. But all of a sudden, missile defense is sounding better and better what with uh, the North Korean missile ambitions. Uh, what's what's going on in the world of missile defense?
1: Well, you are right in, that, uh, in saying that it has not been uh, really uh, much part of the uh, public conversation for, for a pretty long time. And that's for a couple of reasons. Um, the reason it is now is, of course, because of... Uh, The the latest dictator in uh, North uh, Korea, Kim Jong-un, who has, you know, just been manic since he uh, took over and who is uh, on this quickened pace to uh, basically uh, scare the bejesus out of the world. And, um, you know, uttering threats and sailing uh, rockets over Japan and exploding hydrogen bombs. Uh, and, you know, people here and people in his path and people who are in the path of his uh, uh, bellicose rhetoric, uh, uh, I think an awful lot of them say to themselves, well, it's a good thing that we have missile defense, uh, don't we? And, you know, the answer to that, unfortunately, is kind of but not uh, perhaps what you think. And and that is because missile defense is always um, been a highly politicized issue going back even before Reagan. Uh, the, the idea of missile defense is really as old as, as the fact of intercontinental ballistic missiles and almost from the very start, uh, there has been a very stark ideological divide. Um, in the old days, it was because there was a, a near religious belief in arms control, uh, and uh, the doctrine of mutual assured destruction, um, which was the idea that uh, we lived in a sort of bipolar world that uh, we had nukes, the Soviets had nukes and uh, you know they'd be crazy to launch against us because we had second strike capability and would wipe them out and vice versa. It was a very delicate balance, but uh, you know that's that's how we lived for the longest time when the Soviet Union went away, but Ronald Reagan of course didn't did by end of that, Ronald Reagan asked the, the, a question that, you know, the man down at the end of the bar would have asked, uh, which was, <laughs> wait a minute. Um, OK, so we can wipe them out and they can wipe us out. D- does either of us have the capacity to knock down uh, incoming uh, weapons, incoming missiles? Uh, And, you know, that that launched his uh, his program, um, the Strategic Defense Initiative, which critics uh, called Star Wars. Uh, And, you know, again, it was a very political issue. Um, There
0: there seemed to be almost a a religious conviction on the part of uh, Democrats that it was technologically impossible to do missile defense.
1: Yes, that's right. It was that was never the case. I mean, the political arguments against it ironically made the technical achievement of missile defense actually more difficult. For example, the very earliest iteration that we had was a thing called Safeguard. Uh, Edward Teller, the father of the hydrogen bomb as a matter of fact, uh, was one of those who really believed in the idea back in the 60s of missile defense. And he helped to develop this idea and argue for it that, you know, really, we should try to knock them down. And the easiest way to knock them down is to send missiles up into the sky in the path of the incoming missiles, explode a small nuclear weapon. That Just was so- a small <laughs> nuclear weapon. Yes, that's right. And what and your reaction right there is why it didn't happen. People were saying, ah, <laughs> no, ah, we're, you know, we're going to have nuclear war in space. No. And uh, Safeguard was actually deployed. Um, for a space of, I think, 48 hours, uh, and what was then known as the Watergate Congress, heavily democratic, heavily partisan Congress, uh, uh, basically shut it down after really, I mean, something like two months, I think it was actually working. The Soviets, meanwhile, did have their version of it and maintained it, uh, uh replaced it, updated it and maintain it to this day. Um, and missile defense sort of went away because, uh, you know, for, for, after Reagan, because, um, There was an eight-year period in which a Democrat, you know, was sitting in the White House, uh, uh, Bill Clinton, and it wasn't until he he basically undertook to dismantle uh, Reagan's missile defense program, did a pretty good job of it, toward the end of his own tenure, um, uh, North Korea started, uh, you know, showed showed its capacity to have multi-stage rockets and really pose a genuine danger, uh, to us and our allies. And at that point, uh, Clinton gave, gave an okay for, uh, what we basically uh, have now. He didn't deploy it. Uh, he was followed by Bush who went all out on missile defense, uh, when he came into office and he actually deployed the system that we have to protect the homeland now, which is 30 interceptors in Alaska and California. And, uh, that brings us up pretty much up to date.
0: Well, it would seem to me that the technology and the technological possibilities have changed dramatically from the Reagan era when it would, probably would have taken any number of mainframe computers to figure out the trajectory of a single missile. But now we live in the age of uh, you know personal devices, things like Waze for driving around where com- your computer is telling you how to save 30 seconds by... Yeah. plotting an alternate route, you know, wouldn't you think that in this computing age that calculating the trajectory of a missile is a relatively easy thing by comparison to what it was when when the idea got started?
1: Relatively, yes, absolutely. And, you know, if Apple, uh, if we could buy, um, each of us, our own little missile defense system, believe me. <laughs> Apple would provide it. No kidding. I mean, literally, that's right. They would have. They would have had. They would have been uh, incentivized, uh, and they would have developed it, done it. We'd own it, and everything would be cool, except you know, except for the money part of it.
0: Nuclear ballistic missiles. There's an app for that.
1: That's right. Well, the folks who there should be, and probably soon will be, but the folks who actually do let their engineers and scientists loose on these problems, which is to say, the United States government. That depends on there being the political will to say, here's the dough, here's the budget, here's the mandate, go, have at it. You know, the thing is, Eric, back in, uh, gee, 1998, 1999, we were two years away from being able to deploy a very cool, very ultra-modern, it would look modern right now, a uh, system called a uh, missile defense system in space called uh, Brilliant Pebbles, little autonomous little bots that had their own you know, cameras, their own sensors, their own and, you know, thousands of them, relatively cheap. Actually, the, the prototype was made with off the shelf stuff. And, uh, you know, it was, again, as I say, politics came in, Clinton was elected, he was a Democrat, his side didn't believe in missile defense, they did believe in the ABM treaty, even after the Soviet Union was gone, and that program was killed. Um, And Obama, you know, uh, undid uh, Bush, we now have, because of this political circumstance of Republicans uh, in power, and a motivation to pursue this stuff. That uh, We are now, uh, at, I think, at a place uh, where uh, there's going to be money uh, put into research and development of the latest technologies, and some of it is said to be very capable.
0: Well, all I can say is uh, the next time I'm in California and uh, Kim Jong-un starts lobbying missiles, I hope there's somebody who has put the time and effort and money into missile defense.
1: Yes, and 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 as I say, it looks like you know sooner rather than later, there's going to be a green a green light on that.
0: Peter Boyer, national correspondent for the Weekly Standard, writing about missile defense at weeklystandard.com and in the magazine. Peter Boyer, thanks for joining us on the confab.
1: It was great fun, Eric. Thank you.
0: Now we're joined on the Confab by Mr. Ethan Epstein, Associate Editor of The Weekly Standard. Ethan, welcome to The Confab. Thanks so much. So you were writing at com this week about some of the more curious things to come out of the Russia meddling investigation. It seems that Russia, its efforts were strange and
2: varied. Yeah, I I have to admit I sort of cackled about this for several hours when the news broke. Uh, It turns out that Russia, which as we all know, has been widely assumed to have been, you know, taking all sorts of actions in the election with the express purpose of helping Donald Trump's candidacy. It turns out that they bought some ads on social media sites promoting, wait for it, Black Lives Matter, uh, which to and, and me not, was... Not only yeah.
0: not only promoting Black Lives Matter, but targeting those ads geographically, specifically to Ferguson, Missouri, and Baltimore. And Baltimore, exactly.
2: So areas where there's already a large constituency for Black Lives Matter. And, uh, well, you know, frankly, fairly intelligent segmenting as far as where you're going to target the ads, it seems to me. But how is
0: it that... If we're if we're to believe that the Russians had this grand strategy to help the Donald, that uh, how how is Donald Trump helped
2: by promoting Black Lives Matter in Ferguson and Baltimore? OK, so that, of course, is a very interesting question. So let's grant the premise, which I don't think has been established beyond a shadow of doubt, that all of Russia's meddling was about. Helping Trump, So we'll just grant that premise. Then the only conclusion we can draw from this is that uh, Russia believes or Russia has determined that the prominence of Black Lives Matter actually helps Republicans and hurts Democrats. And I actually think there is evidence for that. Um, so I looked at some poll data. It turns out that when Black Lives Matter was just getting started, it actually had plurality support. About 40 percent of the public supported it, about 25 percent didn't support it, and about 30% of the country didn't know what it was. Fast forward over a year later, now that it's become a very uh, visible mass movement in no small part because the Democratic Party has really just sort of embraced it, and we find that a whopping 57% of the country is opposed to Black Lives Matter. So I I think there's a case to be made that given that Black Lives Matter is very unpopular, if you target, uh, you know, or I should say, if you tether the Democrats to Black Lives Matter, that's going to hurt them. So pretty shrewd. Although if the Russians were out to
0: make things uncomfortable for the Democrats, they might have hit advertisements for the Black Lives Matter movement um, in Alabama. Yeah. And
2: Macomb County, Michigan. Yeah. yeah I mean, right. places, Place, where, need, places yes.
0: where people would be appalled to be getting a Black Lives Matter message as opposed to Ferguson and Baltimore where it can be assumed the large majority of the population there is
2: is quite comfortable with receiving a Black Lives Matter message. Yeah, I mean, that's a great point. Um, So I think that gets to the other theory behind this, which is that the purpose of the ads was to sort of sow discord and sow unrest. So. In that theory, what they were doing was trying to basically start a riot uh, in order to sort of, you know, mess up the social environment in the United States. But that uh, I don't think that necessarily means that they were trying to help Trump. So actually, these are two narratives now that are kind of at cross purposes with one another. Uh, I mean, I think that this is actually, you know, in the second reading, this has sort of undermined the claim that all of Russia's actions were there to help Trump. Right, and it's always been a questionable argument because no
0: one thought Trump was in any position to win, and really at a distance, the the Kremlin is likely to rely uh, disproportionately heavily on The Washington Post and New York Times for its read on what the political climate is. The Kremlin's analysts um, would have been, I think, astonishingly astute observers, of the political scene, to be able to analyze it in a way that the best minds at the Washington Post and the New York Times couldn't see what was happening. Um, And so it's hard to believe that the Russians were engaging to help Trump when there was very little reason to think that Trump was going anywhere. Um, But it makes a lot more sense to think that the Russians may have been on a wide ranging mission to just mess with the US
2: I totally agree and of course you know let's say they accept that hillary clinton was was going to become president that kind of undermines her leadership if she's taking play if she's taking office at a time while baltimore and ferguson are burning so i completely agree with you that i do think the latter makes a lot more sense and it's also of a piece with actions that the russian government has been known to take in various of its neighboring states too so there it's less about favoring one particular candidate as as doing things that sort of undermine societal cohesion which i think Black Lives Matter is doing, by the way, and therefore promoting it uh, would also, uh, you know, encourage some fraying of the societal f- uh, fabric here.
0: Ethan Epstein, Associate Editor of the Weekly Standard, thanks for joining us on the Confab. Thank you. That's it for the Confab this week. Be sure to tune in to the Confab every week. Just go to iTunes or Google Play for a free subscription, or go to our website, weeklystandard.com. Thanks so much for listening. I'm Eric Felton. Catch you next time.